0: Our message today um, is one of those where I'm going to go back into the Old Testament and I want to look at a story that we're mostly familiar with most everybody in here I I would imagine has heard it more than once heard it a few times it's a great story it's a it's a fun story it's um, we have to remember that that the Old Testament was not the dispensation of grace it's not a different God it wasn't a different God but his plan for redemption was different in the Old Testament than it was in the New Testament and so it's a, it's, the story sounds kind of harsh in our ears, but, there, but it's an interesting story nonetheless, and there's, a, there's stuff that we can learn from telling, the telling of this story. Um, We've all heard about the, the, you know, the construction of the tabernacle, how that was gonna take place, all the pieces of furniture that would be put in it, the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the sacrifice, the altar of incense, all that stuff. Even the details of the garments that the priest would have to wear was included in the, in the instructions in the tabernacle. All of that, and that's not what our lesson is on today, but I'm bringing it up for a purpose. All of those instructions and all of that information that was given to, to Moses by God shows that God was concerned about how people approached him and that they do it in the proper manner. Does that make sense? It, God loves us, there's no doubt, God loves us. He's also a holy God. And there are some instructions that were given so that that sinful man, man who is not holy, could approach that holy God. It was very important to God because he really did that for our protection. It was for the protection of the priest. It was out of his love for the priest so that they could approach the holy God. Because the veil had not yet been rent. That was the, this was before Jesus had sacrificed himself. This was the Old Testament, so we have to keep that in mind. We don't live under the law anymore. We live under the dispensation of grace. The veil yet had not been rent though at this time. Jesus had not yet died on Calvary. We could not boldly approach the throne in the Old Testament. He was still that holy, holy God. But I want to make very clear, he hasn't changed. He's still that holy God. And there's still lessons we can learn from this, although the way we approach him has now become a little bit different. So just keep all that, all that in mind. Jesus made atonement for our sins at Calvary, but we still must be concerned with how we approach him. God has given some very specific principles about the attitude that people who approach him must have. This sounds kind of strange in our ears. We, we, we um, our songs don't sing about this kind of thing, and our, the stories that we tell don't talk about this kind of thing, but the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. The, the, the we have the addition of what Jesus did, Jesus' sacrifice, but, but, but that God is a holy God. And we've got to keep that in mind both in the Old Testament or the New Testament. We can boldly approach the throne. We can do that. can—and I want to state that unreservedly. I, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression. We are his children, but we, it is clear that we are to come to him with humility. And that humility is even reflected in our modest dress, 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. We are to bring to the Lord our sacrifices of praise when we come before him. We are to offer him our service with reverence and awe because he is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 tells us. True worshipers of God, listen to this, guys, true worshipers of God Approach Him according to the terms He has set with a desire to please Him. True worshipers approach Him with the terms that He set. He called us, He gave us the terms. True worshipers approach and say, I accept your terms and I approach you, God, and we we approach with awe and reverence. But those who approach God according to their own terms in consideration of their own comfort and their own will and their own way and their own desires, they're worshiping themselves and not God. He's not like us. He's God, we're humans. People who approach God on their own terms are practicing a religion but not worshiping a God. Does that make sense? We are not under the old law, let me state it again. We are in the dispensation of grace but we can learn a valuable lesson about the holiness of God by looking at a very, very egregious, egregious, terribly egregious example of people approaching God on their own terms in the Old Testament. In our story for today, which is one I always loved reading as a kid, it just fascinated me. In our story for today, the sons of Israel were about to learn a very important lesson about the consequences, the serious consequences which came about when they tried to approach God according to their own whims, when they were trying to please themselves. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 32, the golden calf. Everybody's heard the story of the golden calf. Basically, at this point, let me just set the scene for you. We are in the middle of God's instructions to Moses on Mount Sinai. God has, uh, Moses has led the people out of Egypt, they've crossed um, the Red Sea, they've uh, headed now to Mount Sinai, God has called Moses up to Mount Sinai, lots of stuff has happened, but we're still in the, like, it was kind of a long process, you know, Moses got the Ten Commandments, then he got the instructions about the tabernacle, lots of things were happening, we're basically in the middle of all this, so the people have seen some happen, but some of it hasn't yet happened. And so chapter 32 opens with a statement that the people saw that Moses was delayed in coming down the mountain. It had taken him a while. He'd been up there a long time, and it had taken a while. He had actually been up there for 40 days and nights, and they were wondering what was going on. They'd wondered what was happening. I, I, we all would, too. Brother Bruce leaves for 40 days to go talk to God. On day 39, earlier than that, guys, we would be, we'd be wondering at day three, man, he's been gone for three days. Well, by day forty, we would be really wondering where did Sister Donna would really be wondering where did Brother Bruce go, um, and I bet you some of them thought he was dead. Maybe he fell off the side of the mountain. Maybe he tripped and bonked his head on a rock. No telling what has happened, and, and that was, I guess, a a, a well grounded fear. Um, you, you see the smoke and the fire and the and the lightning on top of the mountain and and. What human could survive this encounter with God? So I can imagine it was, it was, a, it was a, a legitimate concern on their part. But before we get to the specifics of how they responded, it is important for you to note, for all of us to note, that in the earlier chapter, before we get to chapter 32, all of the people, all of the congregation of Israel had responded to Moses when he, asked the, when, he, when he declared the laws of God, he showed them. He said, this is the Ten Commandments. He showed them. Here's the, 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 these tablets were written by the finger of God. This is the Ten Commandments. And he, he asked the congregation for their response. And their response was, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. That was their response when Moses first came down the mountain. Now, he, he has since gone back up the mountain to get more instructions. But it's very important that you keep in your mind that when we get to this spot in the story that we're telling today, when we get to this spot, the people a few days earlier had just said all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Forty days prior. Forty days ago, they said that. In addition, they had heard with their own ears the Ten Commandments. They had heard the Ten Commandments. They had heard the Lord say, You shall have no other gods before me. They heard the Lord say, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. They heard the Lord say, guys, they heard the Lord say, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. That was 40 days ago, though, and this is now. And it's been 40 days since they've seen Moses, and they don't know what's going on. And Exodus 32 and 1 records that the people assembled about Aaron, and they said to him the following... This is crazy what they said to him. Come, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for, as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we, not, we want not, not what is become of him. We don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters and bring them to me. Take off your gold stuff. Take all your gold and bring it to me. Are you serious? Are you serious? Are they really asking this question of Aaron? They are pursuing an evil at this point, which God has clearly warned them. And and let's put the blame where it's due. Aaron should have shut this down. I mean, Aaron knew better. Aaron, Aaron was there with Moses when they were in front of Pharaoh. Aaron saw the rod drop down to the ground and turn into a snake. He saw uh, Pharaoh's guys drop their, their uh, rods down and they turn into snakes. And then Moses' rod ate their snakes. Aaron saw that, not to mention what happened in the wilderness uh, in, in, and crossing the, the, the Red Sea. Not to mention all that. Aaron saw that. Aaron knew. And Aaron did not shut it down. So he told him to take off the gold earrings. And the people did as Aaron had asked And he takes the gold rings from their hands and he fashions them in verses three and four into a golden calf. When the people see it, they exclaim, This is your God, O Israel. My brain hurts. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the golden calf is sitting there and the people of Israel who saw the mighty works of God, this is our God who has brought us out of Egypt. Mm, That makes my brain hurt. It is shocking to me. I hope it shocks your ears. They saw the ten plagues. They saw the death angel pass over their houses. They saw all of that. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. They saw that. They had been led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They saw that. It was very recent history. This wasn't 40 years ago. This had all just happened. Everyone in that camp, everyone alive had just seen all of that they had seen the glory of the god uh, the glory of the lord up on the mountain they had seen the smoke and the fire up on the, on top of mount sinai the whole top of the mountain was obscured by smoke and fire they had seen it in fact the mountain was still obscured by smoke and fire if they needed any proof of god's presence they just needed to walk out of their tent and look up at the mountain that's where moses was and the smoke and the fire was still there but they didn't do that All they had to do was just open up their tent and look out, but they decided to make a golden calf. Immediately, that calf became an idol. Immediately, it became an idol, regardless of what Aaron intended or what the people intended, that became an idol. It was a textbook example of an idol, actually. I mean, that's, that's, you can't get any better than that. How then could Aaron say that this was to be the Lord to them? That sounds blasphemous, honestly. That's, we got some, we got a graven image and we've got some blasphemy going on. Maybe what Aaron had in mind was that the Lord, who is a spirit, we know that, would be represented by this calf. But even if that was his intention, he had violated the commandment of the Lord that said, do not create an image of me. And he did it to cater to the desires of the people. He literally put another God before the Lord. He literally put another God there. He made an idol. Verse 6 records, So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play. So they, they made sacrifices to this golden calf. And then they ate and drank and had a party. There's nothing wrong with eating, drinking, or having a party. But this was pure and simple idol worship. It was idol worship. But we know God sees everything, doesn't he? Verses 7 through 10, the Lord reveals to Moses what's going on. God saw everything. Moses is up there. He had no clue, but God saw it. And so in verses 7 through 10, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves i got to stop for a second. Can you go back back to seven? Go for, this is God talking to Moses, thy people. He didn't say my people. God said, he's talking to Moses. He said, your people did all this, which you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I just thought that's a little, that's an aside. It's funny. Okay, verse eight. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made of them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Mm. That had to just really great on God. Verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. They're stubborn. They're stubborn. Now therefore let me alone. This is God saying it. God says, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them. And now he turns to Moses, and I will make of thee a great nation. I'm going to get rid of them. That's what, that's what God is saying. I'm getting rid of them, and I will make of you a great nation. We're going to go find you some people, Moses. It won't be them, but we will find you some people, and we'll make of you a great nation. Wow. All of those statements are true that God said. The Israelites had turned away, and God was angry. But this was a test of Moses as that mediator between God and man. He would be a type of Christ in the Old Testament. He was a mediator between God and the Israelites. And it is so significant. I love that that God referred to them as Moses' people. God's offer to make of Moses a great nation is conditioned on Moses leaving God alone and letting God wax hot his wrath, to put it in the phrase of the scripture. A lesser man than Moses may have taken this ultimatum and given into it. Because you can imagine at this point, Moses could have been like, I ain't getting in the way of what you got going on with these people. Go ahead, God. We'll ride afterwards. We'll do what we got to do afterwards. But that was not what Moses did. Moses was true to his calling and he interceded. And it's recorded in Exodus 32, 11 through 13. Do you have that one? I'm going to read it from the, I've got, a, I've got a slightly, Well, okay, here we go. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? Do you get what Moses is doing? Moses is a good lawyer. He's better than me, that's for sure. Why is your wrath waxing against your people? Well, God didn't say that. God said they were yours, Moses. Now, they're fighting over whose people they are. Which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with your mighty hand. God, you did some great things. It'd be awful if you messed them up. You did good stuff. And Moses, wherefore, should the the Egyptians speak and say, now listen... God, this is what's going to happen. If you, if you destroy these people, the Egyptians are going to say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Moses is, that's some bravery, Sister Brenda. That's a brave man standing and saying that to God. Remember Abraham, oh, this one's a good one. Always, when you pray, remind God, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive Moses' arguments are all based on God's glory. They are his people who he brought out of Egypt. And he did so to demonstrate to the Egyptians that he was God. He's asking God to withhold his judgment, lest the Egyptians then make false accusations against God. Well, God, you let them out and then you destroyed them. That's what the Egyptians would have said, right? Very clever arguments on the part of Moses. But his final argument is that God should not destroy them because of that prior promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, That one's not clever. That one's one's awesome to me. Verse 14 states that the Lord then changed his mind. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago about that immutability of God, that God doesn't change. And what I was talking about that time is, or a few weeks ago, is, is the nature of God. His characteristics do not change. That is not this scenario though, is it? He always keeps his promises. The fact that God changes his mind in the scripture is actually a comfort to all of us because it shows that God does keep his promises to us concerning our prayers. He heard Moses's prayer and it changed the mind of God. And in doing so, he still accomplished his sovereign will. God's goodness never changed. And so we find that Moses used God's goodness to prevail upon God. God would not destroy the people, but there would be judgment and there would be consequences. And so Moses returns to the camp. He comes down the mountains with the stone tablets upon which God had written the law. And he met with Joshua. Joshua must have been waiting like somewhere halfway up, maybe on a, on a cliff, you know, he was waiting on Moses. So they start walking down and, and they hear all the noise coming from the camp. Remember the people had ate, drank, and they were making merry. And they hear all this noise and Joshua thought it was the sound of war. He was getting his sword out ready to fight. Whoever it was had attacked the camp. But Moses said, it's not the sound of triumph or defeat, but it's the sound of partying. He said singing, but yes. When Moses came within sight of the camp, he could see the calf, he could see them dancing around the calf, and in anger, and I get it, we can all, we're, we're armchair quarterbacks right here, we're watching, we're reading this story, we've already seen the end of it, so we can armchair quarterback it. He threw down the 10 Commandments onto the ground and broke them. The ones that God's finger had written, he threw to the ground and broke them. They, they hadn't been chiseled by Moses, They were by the very hand of God, and he threw them on the ground. He then took the calf and he burned it. You have to get pretty hot fire to burn gold. You don't burn it with just a mild fire. He burned it, but that wasn't enough. He then ground it into powder, but that wasn't enough. He then scattered it on the surface of the water, and he made the people drink it. Somebody's going to find an archaeological. They're going to be like, there's poop with gold in it. (laughs) Don't know how that happened. Moses was mad. Moses was angry. Moses was fuming. And I think he had every right to be. But you know what? Moses spotted who the ringleader was real fast. And he had some things to say to Aaron. Aaron. He looked at Aaron and his failure to to keep the people from committing this great sin. And here's what Aaron does. Aaron admitted that he knew the people were prone to sin, but that at their request, he made a god for them with their gold earrings. And then he made this extremely unbelievable claim in verse 24. He said he threw the gold into the fire and out came a calf. Bull, (laughs) literally. The people were still out of control at this point. The, even though Moses has done all this, he's, he's bashed the, the, the calf, burned it, and, and made uh, dust out of it and made the people... Dr- there are still people on the outskirts of the camp that are partying. They were still out of control. So Moses stood at the gate of the camp and he called out, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And the sons of Levi responded. And Moses had them strap on their swords and go through the camp and kill those who were still out of control. 3,000 men were executed that day. Even though all of the camp was guilty, 3,000 were executed. Remember, this is under the old law. I will not be asking Brother Gary, Brother Tim, and Sister Darlene, Brother Rob, to get their swords at the end of service and hunt, hunt down all the idolaters in here. What I am saying is that we can learn something by looking at this Bible story. Moses called on the people to then dedicate themselves to the Lord so that the Lord might bestow a new blessing upon them. And that ended the judgment for the first day. But it was not over. Moses had to intercede a second time. Moses rebuked the people the next day for their great sin, and he told them that he would go again before the Lord in an attempt to make atonement for their sin. Moses was awesome. He, he, I, we don't study him enough. Moses did some incredible things. Have you ever been mad at your children or your spouse and you finished giving you know blessing them out and then you walk away and you're like you're thinking, oh, and another thing. (laughs) That's what Moses did. That's what Moses is doing. He's mad, but he's but he is also still trying to save the people. Moses met with the Lord and he pleaded with him. Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if thou wilt forgive thy sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book of life. Wow, that is an incredible statement. Moses knows how mad God is, but he has now identified with the people who God has judged. Moses says, blot me out if you're not going to atone for them. Blot me out of the book of life. If God would not forgive their great sin, then Moses would prefer prefer death with them And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. God would not yield to Moses' request yet. God still had work for Moses to do. God would still hold the guilty accountable, but the punishment would be postponed until a future day. So Moses has to intercede a third time. The Lord continued his instructions to Moses, telling him about all the, the, the you know, you're going to lead the people to the promised land. God would send his angel before them. They would blot out and wipe out all these people that, that, that will, and, and God said he would, he, he, God said, I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people, lest I destroy you on the way. It is a serious matter to be in the presence of the Lord, for he is a holy and a consuming fire. God is making that point. God is make, Moses is doing his best, but God is making his point too. I think that's very important to look at. We, we can look at how awesome what Moses said was, and it is good, and I appreciate, and I'm thankful for what Moses did. But God's also making a point. I, I don't take this lightly, Moses. You've come to me, now, this is now your third time asking, and I'm still angry. We're going to deal with this, but it's going to be on a future day. He must be approached with reverence. Their continued sinful stubbornness would result in their destruction if the Lord dwelt in their midst because he's a holy God. The people were sad when they heard this and this is where things turn. The people were sad when they heard this because one of the signs of true repentance and and genuine sorrow is that when they heard this and when they felt this, they stripped themselves of their ornaments, their clothes, their, their anything that was, a, was an outward sign of, of, of partying and exciting things, all that kind of stuff. And they, they, they dressed themselves for sorrow. They, dressed, they knew that they were literally in mourning. Prior to the construction of the tabernacle, Moses would set up a tent outside of the camp that he called the tent of meeting. Moses would meet with the Lord there. The Lord would make his presence known by a pillar of cloud that would descend and stand at the entrance. And when that happened, the people would arise and worship each one at the entrance of their own tent. God would then speak to Moses, and the Bible says face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. The thrust here is that Moses' petitions is that he's seeking an assurance that the Lord has placed favor on them again. He wants to know that God is going to put his favor back on them. Moses has been given an enormous task. You think of even from the calling at the burning bush. Think of what Moses' task has been all this time. It's to, I'm calling you at the burning bush, I'm sending you to Egypt, get my people out, bring them through the desert, and take them to the promised land. That's a big job. Moses knows he and the people need God's favor. And for that reason, he first petitions the Lord to show him his ways. Moses wants to know God He secondly petitions the Lord to have his presence go with them. They need the presence of the Lord. Moses knows he needs an assurance of that. He needs to know that the Lord's favor was upon them. And the Lord responded that he would grant Moses' request for he had found favor in God's sight. Moses then does something that's a fascinating story. Moses goes a step forward and, and it just, we would have probably all stopped once I, okay, my favor's on you all right, God, I'm I'm ready to go. But Moses went one step forward. He said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. And we all know this story. And the Lord responded that he would do so, but it would blind Moses. No man can see the glory of God and live. And so the Lord would put Moses in that cleft of the rock and then he would pass by. And after he had passed by, he would remove his hand so that Moses would just see the, the afterglow basically of what God's presence looked like. But Moses could not see his face the Lord also gave Moses directions. He said, cut for yourself two stone tablets. Remember, he broke the first two. Cut yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. God didn't forget that either. So be ready by morning and come up on the mountain to the Mount Sinai and present yourself to me at the top of the mountain. And no man is to come with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain, even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of the mountain. Tell the people to stay away. They didn't get it right the first time. Treat me as holy this time, okay? Is what God's basically saying. Moses did all that the Lord commanded. In Exodus 34, 6 through 7 records the Lord proclaiming his name to Moses. And then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children. The specific attributes of God, I love these that are proclaimed here, balance his forgiveness with his judgment which thank God that he's got both. Because I've, I've earned his judgment a lot in my life, but, but this scripture is, is balancing God's forgiveness with his judgment. He is a holy God and he will forgive too. These were kind of important, basically, when you think of what Moses was facing with the sons of Israel. They were currently in need of God's forgiveness for their great sin because it had brought them to a place of great judgment. And Moses responded, he bows and he worships. When He is in the presence of the Lord, and He petitions God one more time. If now I have found favor in thy sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are obstinate. And do thy pardon, and, and do thou pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as thine own possession. We're obstinate, we've got problems, we're not perfect, but keep us as your people, is what Moses is saying. He's reminding God, God, you came up with this plan of redemption because we weren't perfect. You knew we weren't perfect, and you had to come up with this redemption plan. I'm just reminding you, even though we're obstinate, keep us in your hand. We are your people. That key concern is for the forgiveness of the sin and for and, and they want the Lord's presence back among them. And and he, if God will take us as our as your own possession again, then we need that. Take note of Moses's identification with the people. Again, he ta- he, he, he's identifying. I am one of them, God. You said you'd save me, but I'm one of them. So if you're gonna save me, you gotta save them too. They were the ones who had committed iniquity and sin, but Moses calls it our iniquity. Our sin. What a great, brave man Moses was. Moses' prayers, that's a a model for all of us, to be honest with you. Sometimes we have to stand in the gap. This is an aside. This isn't even part of my sermon. But sometimes we have to stand in the gap for somebody that we love. Somebody who's, who's gone way into sin or an addiction or whatever, sometimes we have to do that. And when this is a, what Moses did here with the people after they, they worship the golden calf is a great example. Go back and read these scriptures and do what Moses did and stand in the gap for somebody. And as a result of Moses' intercession, the covenant is renewed. And the lord responds with this renewal he says he would perform unique miracles among them which they had which had not been done before so that they would see the working of the lord he warned and, and the he it's a warning slash i guess be prepared kind of statement he warned that it would be a fearful thing that he would do his his glory and the miracles would be so incredible that it would actually it it, it might even make them be afraid it was going to be that incredible so he warned them Second, he warned them about interacting with all the people in the land of Canaan. He said, Don't don't hang out with the Amorites. Don't hang out with the Canaanites. Don't hang out with the Hittites. All those people you preached about a few weeks ago. Don't hang out with the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They were not to make any covenants with those people, for it would snare them into them. They were to tear down and smash their high places where they worshiped idols. The Israelites were to tear all that down and smash those high places. Because they, they didn't want that to be, to be allowed to exist in their midst with their false gods. They were to worship only the Lord. Only the Lord. And they were not to make any graven images. Moses then wrote all of these words on the tablet along with the Ten Commandments. Now, he had a, a, we've, we've gone through this in about 35 minutes. But Moses had been on the mountain for another 40 days and 40 nights without eating or drinking. That's a miracle too. For him to just serve, that God was literally sustaining Moses. If you think about it, God was sustaining him. That's a miracle. And so Moses returns to the camp with the two tablets. He did not find the sons of Israel this time at play, though he had been gone the same 40, 40 days. What Moses did not know was that his face shone from his, his encounter with God. He had been in the presence of the Lord, and he literally, his countenance was shining. When he returned to the camp, the people were afraid to come near of him because of it. See, they learned a lesson too in all this. They had learned a lesson. And when he finished speaking to the people, he, he put a veil over his face. And he called them together along with Aaron and the rulers. And he told them all of the Lord's commands. After that, he would remove the veil when speaking to the Lord and then put it back on. When, when, when he would go up the mountain, he'd put the, he'd, take the veil, or he'd put the veil on. And when he would come back, he would take it off. So what is the lesson we can learn? And this is where it kind of comes down. What is the lesson we can learn from the golden calf experience? Hebrews 12 and 29 tells us, For our God is a consuming fire. Every one of you have probably seen, we, we had um, who, somebody in the church had to evacuate their house this past week. Who was it that had to leave their house? Because of the, the fire up in the National Forest. Who was it? Paul, that's right, it was Paul and Clint, that's right. They had to leave their house because there was a, a, fire, a forest fire. When a fire is a consuming fire, it doesn't leave anything behind it. When it sweeps through, it burns everything. There's nothing, it consumes all of the fuel. It burns everything completely up. And this scripture tells us, Hebrews 12 and 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. He is holy. He is holy. He wants us to have no other gods before him. No other gods. There should be reverence and there should be awe when we walk into his presence. That is something I feel and I fear and I've seen it even in my, I know my, my grandparents said it about my generation and I guess maybe I'm an old fogey for saying it about the, the next generation, but I have seen a lack, or I've seen a, 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 the respect and the reverence for the awe of God, it just decreases with each generation. And maybe, I, maybe I'm old fogey, maybe it's not really happening, but that's, it, it, I feel in my spirit that there has been a reduction in the, in the reverence and the awe that we give to the house of God, that we give to, to the, the presence of God who comes into the house of God, the El Bethel. There seems like there's just a reduction in that, but he is a consuming fire. Ancient Israel, those Israelites, they learned the hard way the importance of coming before him properly and obeying his commands. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 tells us that we should learn from their example. So in the New Testament, yes, we're in the dispensation of grace, but Paul tells the Corinthians, we need to learn from what the Israelites did. We can learn a lesson from what they, the mistakes that they made. And even then, there were still consequences after they disobeyed. And it was only the intercessions of Moses that kept them from being utterly destroyed. I bet none of you, I'm just going to venture a guess here, I might be wrong, but I bet none of you have ever melted down your gold to make an object to worship in your home. I, I, I would wager that no one in this room has ever melted down their gold to find something to worship in their house. If I melted down all the gold in my house, I'd have a thimble full. <laughs> but in so many ways, we have all let other things become golden calves in our lives. Some of these things aren't even bad things and you gotta, you gotta listen, I'm, I'm making a, uh, it, it's a, it's an interesting point, I hope um, you may never never thought about it this way, but but some of the things that are idols in our lives are not necessarily bad things. Work, we all got to go to work. But I know people who worship their job. I know people who are consumed by their job. Relationships, everybody wants a relationship. Everybody wants somebody to love. But we can worship the person we're in a relationship with. Money, you got to have it. It's important, we need it to take a vacation. We need it to buy food. We need it to, but people worship it, right? Kids, this is one you probably hadn't thought of, but I know people who live for their kids. They, they worship their children. There's also the bad stuff, sex and lust, alcohol, drugs, lust for power, chasing beauty or chasing fame. All of those things can become idols. All of them can. We have elevated something above that position of preeminence that God doesn't just require of us, but that knowing him demands of us. He demands that position of preeminence. And ours are so much more innocent looking than that golden calf. None of us have a giant golden calf in our living rooms. None of y'all do. But the effect is the same. Something is lifted above God. And we have to understand something. We've got to, please get, if you don't get anything else out of what I'm, get the next three minutes. God is a God of love. And he is also a holy God. And he is a jealous God. And what puts all that together, God of love and a holy God and a jealous God and what makes all of that very applicable to our own lives is he is also a God of his word. If it's written in his word, if he said it, then it's going to come to pass. And his word says you shall have no other gods before me. Examine your hearts today. What do you give your time to? What are you worshiping? Because I bet you, if I came and observed you for a day, or any of us, you come observe me. I can tell you what you worship by what you spend your time on. If there is something that is above God, ask for forgiveness. Do what Moses did on behalf of the people. Ask for forgiveness. God, help me tear that down, that that thing in my life that's become an idol, and put it in its proper place. Because God's going to bless all the things that are right and good when they're in their proper place. My family is important. My job is important. Money is important. My kids are important, but I can't put them above God. And I sure don't need to put alcohol and drugs and beauty and fame and and all the other stuff, power. I don't need that either. That's bad stuff. But but when I put everything in its proper place, then God starts to bless it. It it just just flows. But God's got to be first in it. And if there's anything that we have put above God, ask him for forgiveness. Say, God, please, I I didn't mean to even let that become an idol in my life. I, I, I didn't even realize it was an idol in my life. But I see now that I have let it become one. Start putting things in their proper place and keeping God always at the top. We must always be putting the God of the universe first. He should be first. He really should be first because nothing else in the universe can be first other than him. One last little story from the Bible. When Satan tempted Jesus and said, If you will worship me, I'll give you all the kings of the world, all the kingdoms of the world. If you'll bow down and worship me. Remember the story where where Satan came and tempted Jesus. And Jesus responded in Luke 4 and 8. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. This is the call for us today. Those words of Jesus are the call for us today. Satan throws things up to draw our attention away from God. He throws things, and they're beautiful, and he makes them look fancy and wonderful, and and we chase it, squirrel, we go after it. But that's the things that Satan is trying to do to, to turn our attention away from God. But it is written, We shall love the Lord our God with all of our heart and him only shall we serve. It's that simple. Search your heart. Search your life this week. Look deep into the, the recesses and the corners and the hall closet. The, 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 up on top of the, where, you, where your clothes are lined. Look up there too. Look all throughout your entire life. Look for things that are in front of God and put them in their proper place. Some of them we need to kick out of our lives. Some of them we need to excise completely, but some of them just need to be reordered. Our God is a consuming fire. We must serve him and him only. I encourage you this week, look to him, look to his kingdom, look to his word and serve him with all of your heart.